0: So, we are now in the time of year where we are quickly approaching Shavuos. And I had last week Rabbi Busko come on and talk about the counting of the Omer. And as you know, we just came from Pesach, and he explained how these are two pivotal points in time that are bridged together. And I know many of my listeners have been fully observant their entire life. And I know some are just beginning to become observant and learn Torah and are not familiar with Shavuos at all. So, I want to take you through an exercise. So if you would just hit the pause button, go grab a few pieces of paper and a pen or pencil, and then come back and and walk through this with me because this is how I sort of look at how these two events in time are linked to one another. So if you take a piece of paper and you draw a line down the middle, and on this first one, we'll put in the middle financial needs, material needs. And then on the left side of that line, write things like where those sources of financial needs come from. If you work for someone, you may put employer. If you have a business, you may put clients or customers. Or maybe you work in buying and selling financial assets. So it would be markets. And these are all the things you can think of of where your livelihood comes from. And of course, you definitely want to put on the list our unique skill sets that contribute to our livelihood. So those are on the left side of that line graph. Now on the right side of the line graph, right Hashem. Everything on that left side of the graph is what we call false gods. And you can really put another title around that, and that is Pharaohs. And so the idea here is this, is that absolute truth is that everything comes from Hashem. And anything understanding other than that is simply an illusion. Now, I'll show you how that plays out in perfection. One of our sages I know of that understood this truth in totality was the Baal Shep Tov. Every night he would look in his cupboards and find any food that was not necessary to feed his family. He would look for any money he left over and he reasoned, God gave me more than I needed today. So he would take all that and he would go out and distribute it to the poor because he knew the next day Hashem would provide for him once again. Now, I'm not at all And I strongly discourage anyone from emptying out their 401k and their bank account and their cupboards because we are not at that level. Because if I did something like that, I would not be able to sleep all night long because I would be up worrying and stressing. I'd be praying for a miracle and we're not supposed to ask for miracles, nor do we want a miracle granted to us because it takes away from our... Reward in the next world. So we don't want that. But you see, it was not a miracle for the Baal Shem To because it was something he expected. It was the only truth he knew. And because it's the only truth he knew, that's what he experienced. So we're sort of on this spectrum, basically, at all times. So if my livelihood comes from God, meaning that every event is being orchestrated, everyone I come into contact with is being orchestrated by God. If my intellect and ideas come from God, my ability to speak itself comes from God, then what is my role in earning a living? And what I've gathered is it comes from two things. One, do I conduct myself in all those interactions in accordance with Torah? And two, it is the degree in which I recognize that those events, and all those things come from God, that is what is mine. And the further and more I do that, the more I push myself to the right side of that spectrum, developing more Muna. These other sources we know are, are not true. Those on the left side, the pharaohs, the false gods. And at Pesach, what happens is, is there's an energy that comes in that releases us from these pharaohs there's an energy that consumes the following 49 days leaving up to shavuos and through that time it's allowing us to push eat ourselves further and further to the right side of that spectrum to have total amuna and you can do this with anything with your other physical needs your health you have hashem on the right side you have doctors medicine you have your maybe it's physical exercise and the preventive care nutrition and you may say well Are you saying, Dan, we're not supposed to exercise and take care of ourselves? I'm not saying that at all. However, the sages of yesteryear, they would live on carobs. They would study all day long. I even heard of some heads of some Shivas that passed away a few years ago who were, I think, close to 110 or maybe a little older, and they sat and studied Torah all day and smoked cigarettes. Right? So, you know, where our health comes from is In fact, from Hashem. And then when we get sick, we need to ask ourselves who caused us to to get sick. And the reality is is that Hashem is the one that causes us to get sick because really our physical ailments are simply a manifestation of a spiritual ailment. I was reading that King Solomon actually had a book that had all the cures and remedies someone could use to cure any physical ailment, but he hid it. Because to give that to the Jewish people would mean that they would fix their physical ailments without getting to the root cause of that, which is the spiritual ailment. And so once again, you know, the, the more we believe we need a doctor and we need medicine, then the more we need the doctor and the medicine. And again, we're all somewhere on this spectrum and we're always just trying to push ourselves to the right. And over the years, I've seen a, a phenomenon where not only through my own experience talking to Jews, but just looking at the Pew study In the Pew study, it says 75% of Jews, roughly around that number from what I recall, do not believe the Torah is true. But then it's something like 90% of those Jews celebrate Passover. Highly intelligent people wanting to spend a night eating constipating matzah and horseradish and telling a story that they're saying they don't believe in, but something is compelling them to do that. And when I asked Rabbi Yokoff Wolby about it, he quoted me a passage in the Talmud that says that there's two mitzvot the soul will not want to get rid of. One is bris milah and two is the Passover Seder. But I know from talking to many Jews, they've never heard of Shavuos. And to me, what's sort of happening is this, there's this desire to be free. We connect to that on a very deep level. But the problem is without the experience of Shavuos, you never become free. You know, think of it like being in a jail cell and Pesach comes and everything gets quiet and the guard is gone. You hear a clicking noise and the jail cell door begins to open up and you realize I'm free and you're excited that you're free But you never leave the cell. And the the reality is, is that there's no lock on the jail cell door, nor is there any door at all. So what's happening? Well, that guard that is there gives us some wonderful furniture for that jail cell. And a high-definition TV with subscriptions to all the streaming services and an Amazon subscription. We get all our needs. We're so comfortable in that jail cell, we don't know why we'd want to leave. Without Torah, we don't know what it is that we are leaving that cell for to go after. It's through the study of Torah that we really get to understand the big game plan of what it is that we're trying to accomplish so we're focused on what we're doing. So I brought on someone to talk about this subject and he's someone I have not brought on before and matter of fact... As many of you know, I always talk about my teacher, Rabbi Yokoff Wolbe, the first Torah scholar I got to know that really took the time to teach me Torah. But this individual was a Torch rabbi that taught me Torah back before Rabbi Yokoff Wolbe had left the yeshiva. And he came out to our synagogue in a suburb of Houston, Texas, and he taught a class on Musar and on Talmud. And there's something I learned from this rabbi even beyond that subject material, And it's the following. I always knew at a very young age how important it was to have vibrant energy. You know, as a young stockbroker, I knew that to keep my energy level high was so imperative because it's that energy level that allowed me to learn, to absorb information, be able to construct processes for investment recommendations and then to have that energy and that passion for conveying those ideas So I was always trying to figure out ways of increasing my energy level now it never occurred to me in my 20s to maybe not go out drinking with the boys all hours of the night Thursday night through Sunday night I even experimented with cocaine for a little bit until I told myself come on Dan you're being so cliche a stockbroker now doing cocaine I'm going be, be original you're like a character out of the 80s Next, you're going to be buying a a suit with shoulder pads. So I gave that up quickly, but I was always trying to get my energy level up and and take supplements and try to figure out ways to maximize this. So back to this rabbi I'll be bringing on. When he was teaching the class, I remember just seeing that the more he taught and the more he spoke these words of Torah, the more his energy level would just enhance and increase. And he he would be like literally vibrating by the end of the class. And you could just sort of see his soul was in such a static frenzy almost that was just reverberating throughout his body. And this class was later at night, which normally I'm sort of toast at the end of the day. And I just remember that he had exhumed so much energy that it would just penetrate me. And I realized then that Torah is the source of energy and vitality. I've experienced this many times where I would go to bed at 10, I wake up at 5 so I can study Torah and I can work out and do all the things I need to do just before I start my work day. And often I've woken up at two o'clock in the morning and I couldn't go back to sleep. My Yetzirah was playing games with me, you know, feeding me these worrisome thoughts. So I just get up and I come in here in my office and I study Torah. And I'll start my day thinking at some point I'm going to crash. I'm going to need a nap. And I've just in many of these days, I have not needed a nap at all. I'm full of energy. And I read about King David and many sages that Torahs almost can supersede the, the physical norm of needing that sleep and and create that sense of energy. So I want to bring on Rabbi Yokov Wugelinter, who is going to be teaching us about Shavuos, bringing with us his passions, energy to teach us about this very important subject. Welcome, Rabbi. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the
1: perplexed, where Torah insights intertwined through personal stories as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Thank you very, very much for the introduction. I remember those days fondly. It was good times.
0: Absolutely. So, Rabbi, I want to learn more about this holiday and how to embrace it. And if you could just share with us what this holiday is about, what it entails, and then how we can embrace it and grow from it. Okay,
1: so the holiday of Shavuot, as was mentioned, it's, it's a holiday that doesn't get its due share of the spotlight. Pesach, Passover is a big one on the Jewish calendar. Hanukkah, we all know Hanukkah, we see it around in the stores. Everyone lights a menorah, celebrates it at home with the family, whatever the situation may be. But Shavuot, can, we can almost skip over on the calendar. And it's really too bad because it is really the celebration of the essence of what we're doing as Jews both as a nation and on an individual level, what, who we are and what we believe in. So to really understand what the holiday is, what are we doing on the holiday, what is Shavuot, um, we have to look at the names that the Torah gives for this holiday. And there's a number of names that the Torah uses when it's referencing the holiday of Shavuot. Um, the first one seems to be what was connected to what was going on in the calendar based on the agricultural calendar is Chag HaKatzir, is the holiday of and the festival of reaping, which is at this time, obviously, the wheat stays on probably the last thing that a farmer would gather in and would get from his fields. And this was the time when they would gather in the wheat. And so it's referred to as Chag HaKatzir. It's the holiday that takes place at the time of the year when you are literally going out there and getting the wheat. And we'll maybe delve into a little bit what the significance of that is, but just building on these names that the holiday is given, we have the common name that we call it is Shavuot. And the idea of Shavuot can mean weeks. A shavua in Hebrew is weeks. And as we discussed as you mentioned the The holiday of Shavuot really comes at the end of a seven-week period, which began on Pesach, which began at the towards the beginning of Passover, which was the period of counting of the Omer. And at the end and the culmination of those seven weeks of counting, we know we're counting towards something that is exciting and counting towards this holiday. Well, at the end of it, we celebrate those weeks that we've spent counting. Another name for it is the holiday of Bikurim, the holiday when we would begin to bring the first fruits. You can imagine back in the day when a lot of our economy was centered around agriculture, and people all over, all the Jews from all over would bring their first fruits from from the fruits of the land of Israel. They would bring those to the temple and actually offer their first fruits, the first things that sprouted out of their out of their fields. They would bring those and offer them to God as a way of saying thank you. And they would actually say that to Hashem when they would bring them. They would say to God, thank you for what you've done for us, and thank you for everything that you've done for us. And really, the last name that's used most commonly in the rabbinic sources is that the holiday is called atzeres, or atseret, which could mean gathering together, and it also, we know, could mean to stop. And so we can talk about the significance, um, if you want to get into the significance and what these names mean for us, but I think it's important to really focus on the common name that we all call it. We call it Shavuot. And Shavuot, we said, is the idea of weeks and the celebration of the weeks. And what that tells me, looking ahead at this holiday, in preparing and understanding what I am meant, where I'm meant to get to on this holiday, that means that some part of this holiday is really a look back at the previous weeks and understanding that woven throughout any of the names that you give this holiday of Shavuot is a realization that the holiday of Shavuot is very closely connected to the holiday of Pesach. And so it's funny, Shavuot, the end of the story, kind of gets left off of our, you know, collective calendar, can possibly be overlooked, and we may place more significance even on Pesach, and yet Pesach is really just the start of a process that then ends on Shavuot. So let's take a step back and understand, first of all, what historic event took place on the days of Shavuot, on the day that we celebrate Shavuot. And that historic event that we are talking about is the actual national revelation and receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. The Jews had left Egypt. We know that story. Well, they had taken a few weeks of preparation and had camped at the foot of the mountain, and they were told to prepare themselves Three days before, because in three days you are going to hear from God. And comes the day of Shavuot, and we actually experience something that goes down in history as the only recorded event of its kind. The only time that an entire nation claims can lay claim to the fact that they heard the voice of God. And so that is the the actual event that we are celebrating is the receiving of the Torah. And like we know, we always mention when we talk about celebrating a historic event, we always talk about the fact that the Jewish calendar is unique in that we don't only celebrate the events that took place on that day, but we actually tap back into the energy of that event. And so on Pesach, like we always talk about the idea of achieving personal freedom, because it's a time when there is freedom in the world, the time of Passover— well, Shavuot is the same thing. The time, that what we're celebrating is the receiving of the Torah, but what we can do is tap into the same energy and the energy of receiving of the Torah. We need to expound on that. We need to talk about that more. But just to keep it as an idea that anything that we discuss and anything that we talk about in relation to this holiday always has to translate back to something that has to do with an energy that we can pull down, that we can access, and that we can bring into our life going forward. And so the names of the holiday really are indicative of this power. We spoke about Shavuot being the celebration of the weeks, and I want to expound on that and tell you a little more. We know that the Omer period, the period of time of counting in between Pesach and Shavuot is really a time when we are meant to be focused on profound personal growth, And meant to really be taking each day and understanding that each day on its own is so important. It's a lesson like that that can carry you through the rest of the year. But let's not stop there. Every day is important. And on every day, I have a mission. On every day, I can grow. And I'm gonna grow incrementally. I'm gonna grow small, tiny little pieces every single day. I'm gonna take one little thing and I'm gonna say, you know what? Today, that's gonna be my focus. Not this month, not this year. We get lost in the time, and it's just too much for our brains to handle. But we take each day and we say, today, this is going to be what I'm working on. And we build each day, one on top of the other, until we have a complete unit. We have a complete week. And we look back on that week, that unit, and we say, wow, I've accomplished something. This week, I focused on a certain character trait seven different ways, maybe a little bit each day. And I really built something that week. Okay, so we've grown a week. We grow another week. We grow another week. That is the period of time that we are dealing with in between Pesach and Shavuot. Well, comes Shavuot, and we're given the Torah. We celebrate the weeks. What does that mean? What are we missing? We've worked on 49 levels. We're at the we're at the highest level. I mean, if you haven't reached uh, perfection by Shavuot, I don't know, maybe we missed the boat, right? What do we need? What do we need the Torah for? So the idea that I've heard presented is that we come up with all sorts of ideas and things that we need to grow and things that we need to change and things we need to improve on, and those are all awesome. But what we have to remember is that in order to achieve completion, in order to really be fulfilled, and in order to really, really build ourselves into huge, great people, in order to do that – we need a guidebook. And after we've worked on our character traits and refined ourselves to the point where we're then able to say, you know what? Okay, I've done what I can, but now and now I can celebrate those weeks, but now I need the 50th level, the highest level. I want the guidebook. And so we come to Shavuot, the holiday of Shavuot, and really that's the celebration. The celebration is the fact that we as a nation are not told to make it up as we go. The fact that we as a nation are not told, listen, I want something, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. Go for it. Let's see how you do. That would be the cruelest game I've ever heard of. But in fact, God says, I want something, and I'm going to describe it. I'm going to tell you exactly what it is I want. I'm going to give you the Torah. Use it as your guidebook for life. Use it to understand in any situation you ever experience. Use it to guide you into the proper way to act. And the fact that we were given that guidebook is definitely a reason to celebrate on Shavuot. By the way, a Shavuah is a week but a Shavuot is an oath or a promise. And so it's very possible that the holiday of Shavuot is actually a celebration of the oath. What oath am I referring to? Well, when God gave us the Torah, God makes a promise to us. You are my chosen nation. You, the Jewish people, will always be my chosen nation. I will never switch you. I will never give up on you. And God promises through this guidebook, through the Torah, he promises, he makes a shivua, he makes an oath to us. And the Jewish people in accepting the Torah make an oath back to God. We promise to never leave him. And we say, we know it's going to be hard and we know we'll have challenges and we'll have ups and downs, but we will never leave you. And so really... This is kind of like the holiday of Shavuot is kind of like making that promise all over again, you know, reaffirming our our commitment to God and God reaffirming his commitment to us. And in some way, the experience at Mount Sinai, the experience that the Jewish people had at Mount Sinai was in fact— is looked at by the rabbis as a wedding ceremony. And following along with that idea, if it's a wedding ceremony, then there has to be a groom and there has to be a bride. And the way the rabbis describe it is that God, as the groom, takes his beautiful bride, the Jewish people, with all of our imperfections, collectively and individually, he takes us and says, there ain't nothing getting in between us. We're gonna be together forever. And that's the commitment that we reaffirm at the celebration of Shavuot. And so what an exciting time. This is like the greatest wedding anniversary. This is our wedding anniversary. If you look at Pesach as being when we got sort of engaged, when we said, you know what? This is someone who I could probably spend the rest of my life with. Not knowing fully, not having moved in together, right? I don't know what that what the other one does with the toothpaste when they're done. I don't know if they leave it on the counter. But saying, you know what? I could invest in this relationship. This sounds good. And then the culmination of that commitment, when we say we will never be separated ever again, the wedding ceremony, and then each year the anniversary of that wedding is Shavuot. What a celebration. What a beautiful celebration that we can have every year.
0: Beautiful. So all this tied into annually after the initial Mount Sinai experience on an annual basis during the harvesting of the wheat and also the first fruits for that season. Yes. It seems like also there is, and sort of what I was sort of alluding to at the beginning too, is that Torah is the roadmap, the manual on how to get there but there's an, an aspect of amuna or not our remembering where everything comes from and maybe tying it in where he he tied it to that that season of making sure that we don't forget where the harvest came from where those fruits come from or nourishment by first starting by tithing those and bringing those to the temple put us in that state of mind to then experience receiving of the Torah again would you say those are sort of tied in together those experiences
1: yeah definitely Tying the names of the holiday to what is going on on the agricultural calendar is not by chance. This is not just that this is an agricultural holiday. You know, I've heard some people say that, that the Jewish holidays are really, they're really just farm festivals. You got to reap sometime. You got to go gathering your wheat sometime. So when you do, you have a party. But it's actually the opposite. The reason why this holiday is tied to the reaping is so that we can, it really drives a point home to us. And the fact is, is that our lives are busy and – even with all the current technological advances that we have, where we have it's so easy, right? You can open your garage door from the uh, from from an app on your phone, right? There's, we shouldn't have such a busy life, but it keeps getting busier and busier. But you can go back to a guy that has to wake up at four o'clock in the morning, doesn't have the option of just you know putting in a, a little AirPod and going out to his field and listening to a Torah class while he you know works in the field. I mean, this is a guy that really has to spend dedicate a lot of his time. And a lot of his effort and energy in actually farming and understanding that we have a holiday that is tied to the time when he can sit back and look and he has a choice of how to react to the fact that he now has a silo full of grain. The guy has a storehouse full of grain. He had an amazing year and now is his chance to react. It's his chance to stop for a moment and think and internalize and begin to realize and recognize who filled up that silo because very easy and it could be very easy for a farmer. It could be very easy for someone who depends on the the land to look at his amazing advancement in how he decided to plant his seeds months and months ago, or how he decided his watering schedule, and he could say, this is literally, I'm a genius. I have produced this amazing stuff out of the ground. But we know that the Torah's attitude is that instead we are meant to look at it and realize and recognize the miracle that is things that grow out of the ground and recognize that if God did not will those things to come out of the ground, they would cease to do so in a moment sometimes we are given this wake-up call, and there are times in our history when we've been given this wake-up call, when things just stop. Economies can crash. And to see those as a wake-up call, I guess Shavuot is our opportunity to really celebrate and not need the wake-up call. To internalize this lesson, God is the one that is providing. God is the one that is keeping things growing and going and keeping the stock market, you know, trending upwards. That's There's only one being who is behind that. And so tying a holiday to that is telling us that we're going to give you a day to stop. Stop. It's going to be an auspicious time, whether you're a farmer. And if you're not a farmer, use this time to really internalize this lesson. Understand where do things come from. Understand who do we give thanks to. That's why we tie this holiday as well to the holiday of giving the first fruits. And we tie it to... Bringing to God our the first thing that comes out of our plant. You know, my son did a science experiment and he actually got a pot and we went to Home Depot, we got some seeds and he put it in and to watch his excitement as that flower blooms. And could you imagine if I told him that that first thing that comes out of that pot, the first thing you got to cut off and you got to give it, put it in a basket and you got to bring it to Jerusalem and you got to give it to God put it before God and understand where it came from, that would really drive the message home, right? He would really get that point, that this is not his amazing watering abilities, my 12-year-old. That's the idea of connecting it to the Bikurim, is, is really taking a concrete action in our lives, and not just allowing it to be lip service, allowing it to be, you know, thank you. And I know where my stuff comes from. Thank you. But actually doing something and actually traveling with that first stuff that came out of the bush and came out of the plant, the first thing that you produced and not convincing yourself that it was really came from you and understanding that you bring it to God, you offer it to him and you say, I know where this came from.
0: Thank you. Hashem. Wonderful. Can you talk a little now about how the holiday, uh, Shavuot is observed and celebrated, and how that normally looks when we're not in a world of being quarantined, in light of the fact that we still may not be in a position where we can get together as a community. For
1: sure. So, Shavuot is actually a really interesting holiday in that on Pesach, on Passover, we know that a lot of the focus is on the commandments that we have and the special things that we do on Passover, like sitting at the Seder on the night of Passover and experiencing the story of the Haggadah. We know that we eat matzah and we eat maror, We eat these things and we experience them and we really have – and those are really commandments that are biblical commandments, things that we do because the Torah says this is how you're meant to celebrate. And yet when it comes to Shavuot, in the Torah, there really is no commandment that we are meant to partake in. There is nothing that the Torah prescribes as the way to celebrate Shavuot. So what's developed over time is really rabbinic in nature, and it goes way back, and the traditions start very early on, but the celebration of Shavuot on the biblical level, the way the Torah itself describes Shavuot, is simply a day of not doing work, like every other holiday, kind of like Shabbat, kind of like the Sabbath, a day of just resting from work. And it's interesting. Maybe the idea there is that before we even discuss how we celebrate Shavuot nowadays, I think we have to understand that on the biblical level, maybe we're being told that if this is the celebration of our wedding, then we're going away with God for our anniversary. And as opposed to God telling us and prescribing to us a full itinerary of events that we are meant to be doing on our anniversary and where we're going and where we're going to be this hour and where we're going to be this hour, as opposed to doing that, the Torah may be telling us that let's just celebrate being together. Let's just take off from work. Let's go away and no plans, no commandments. Let's just celebrate the fact that we're together. And maybe that on the biblical level is the idea of atzeret, of just refraining from work and just being together. But now let's talk about Shavuot in modern times, Shavuot as it's developed over the years. The the custom, and I would say the most well-known of the customs on Shavuot, there's really two that stand out in my mind. The first one being that many people... Stay up the entire night of Shavuot. That means if the holiday starts on Tuesday evening, that entire evening, Tuesday night, from about 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock until 5 o'clock in the morning, many people would be in synagogue or in the study hall and would spend the entire evening studying Torah. That's the first of the customs that I think is the most widely accepted, universal, universally accepted for those that are actually celebrating Shavuot. I think that that is probably the first one, is the fact that everyone stays up the entire night studying
0: Torah. So I would say that since it is, in fact, an anniversary, and with a... With our spouses, when we celebrate our anniversary with them, it's about also get away from the work. Dan, turn off your iPhone. Focus on me. Let's talk and and develop closer relationship by getting to know each other. And so I, I see it analogous that what are we doing when we're studying Torah is getting to know Hashem better.
1: Yes, I agree. I agree. So I will talk more before I get to the second custom, the second universal custom, I'll talk more about the night of Shavuot. So let's talk about what this night of Shavuot looks like. Spending an entire night in the study of Torah, what does that mean? So this goes way back to actually our first experience at Mount Sinai. The night before we were to receive the Torah, the Jewish people decided, as a nation, to get one good night's sleep. And the idea kind of makes sense. You know, you got to get up early for something important. You need to be focused. You need to be on point in the morning. So what did they do? They went to sleep. Makes sense to me. Except the rabbis tell us that that may have been a national mistake that we need to fix up. Because like many times when we have something very important in the morning and we try to put in a good night's sleep, we toss and turn the entire night. Many times I've set an alarm for a 5 a.m. flight out of the airport. I know I need to wake up at 3. I've set an alarm for 3, and I don't need that alarm because at 2.30, I pop out of bed. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't even sleep the whole night, right? We toss and turn. We have a big meeting in the morning. How could you sleep? And so what the rabbis tell us is that, in fact, the Jewish people made a mistake. The fact that they slept so soundly, their idea may have been correct. You want to get your energy in. You want to get your sleep in. But the fact that they slept so soundly on the night before such a momentous occasion, it's possible that that was a mistake. So what do we do? we fix it up. We say, we're going to do this right. And every year we come back and fix a little bit more and a little bit more, and we stay up the entire night in anticipation of that event that we read about only now, what we read about in the morning, but in anticipation of reliving and re-experiencing the Torah or the receiving of the Torah, we stay up the entire night and study Torah. Now, that's a great idea. That's beautiful. And that's great that we're fixing something up. But I want to ask you a simple question. How could the Jews have made such a mistake? And I think the answer will tell us something very important about the Torah that we study on the night of Shavuot and about the Torah in general. How could the Jewish people have made such a mistake? We're talking about the people that were chosen to leave Egypt. The people that were about to become the chosen nation, these are our leaders. These are the original people that were the Jewish people right at the beginning. They didn't make mistakes like this, but yet they made such a simple mistake. They went to sleep. How did they make such a mistake? So maybe it's possible. The rabbis explain. That before the receiving of the Torah, they were actually missing a key component and an understanding of what the Torah is. Because we throw around these words all the time, learning Torah, studying Torah, and those are important things. But what do they mean? What does it mean when we study Torah? And maybe the mistake that the Jewish people made. We know that when we go to sleep, the Talmud teaches us that our soul— actually returns to its creator. The, so to speak, spiritual side of us goes and gets a charge, you know, like a rechargeable battery. Our soul goes back up to heaven, gets a spiritual recharge, and comes back into our body in the morning. That we understand. What that means is that in going to sleep, what we are doing is achieving the most spirituality, allowing our soul to plug into the experience that is the most positive for our soul, allowing our soul to recharge itself. That's what we're doing when we go to sleep. And what the Jews, that night before the revelation at Mount Sinai, that night before, what they said is, okay, we've grown. We have worked on ourselves. We left Egypt just a few weeks ago. We've worked on ourselves little by little. We want to take that final jump. And what they said is the only way to take that final jump is to go to sleep, to remove our physical body from the equation and to allow our souls to fully express themselves, to go back up, get that charge, and to be literally up there with God. Okay, so what was their mistake? Well, they didn't have the Torah yet, so they didn't know this necessarily. But what we now know is that what the Torah is there for is the guidebook for how to live in a human body. The Torah is a guidebook that allows our soul to function even though it is limited by our human body. The Torah is the guidebook for the human experience. And so what we now know is that the Torah is not meant to take away and remove your body. The Torah nowhere says that our body should be removed from the equation. Rather, what does the Torah say? Okay, here's the situation. You got a spiritual side. You got a physical side. What are you going to do about it? Here's how to deal with, it. and so that is exactly the mistake that they made. They tried to remove their physical side. They went to sleep. They said, "We want to be just spirit, just neshama, just soul." And the lesson that we're meant to relive and re-experience every year is that no, we stay up the night of Shavuot. We're very physical. We're eating. We're drinking we're tired. We may be overtired. We may get that, you know, when you get really tired and you get cold and you're really, really aware that you're very, very tired because for some reason you get freezing cold. You ever experienced that? You ever been up at three o'clock, pull an all-nighter, three o'clock in the morning, something? I don't know. But there's an acute awareness that we are very physical and we are very physical beings. And that's a reality, and that's what we're celebrating, is the fact that we have the Torah that tells us how to deal with that. We have the Torah that tells us how to interface with a very physical world around us and very mundane physical challenges, and that's the celebration. That's why it has become part of the celebration of Shavuot, and really the only thing that we actually do, one of the only things that we actually do on Shavuot is to stay up the entire night studying Torah in realization that the Torah is the guidebook for
0: how to be a person in this world. Fantastic. Are there particular subjects that we study? I I believe you alluded to that earlier. So
1: on the night of Shavuot, really we study anything that interests you within the realm of Torah, okay? So if that may be character development— then study Musar, study character development. Maybe pick one trait per hour. You know, you have about four hours, five hours of study, maximum. Pick one trait an hour and say, you know what, I want to do a deep dive. I'm going to look up some sources or I'm going to ask uh, someone who is knowledgeable of some sources and I'm going to come prepared and do a, do a, But whether it be character development or whether it be, you know, I always wondered about that story in the Torah. I want to go look it up and see more about that, see what the commentaries have to say. But really, the study on the night of Shavuot is meant just to be a reaffirmation of our connection to this guidebook. And so there are no particular things that one is meant to be studying on the night of Shavuot. There is a text that really encompasses all areas of study, but I don't actually know if anyone's ever translated it. I don't know if it's widely available. It's called Tikkun Leel Shavuot, which means the text of the night of Shavuot and really... It takes a little piece from each book of the Torah and each book of the prophets and little pieces of the Zohar, of Kabbalah, little pieces of the Talmud, and really creates this big picture that you can almost touch everything. You know, you you can round the bases on the night of Shavuot. It's a beautiful idea. But really, study anything that interests you on the night of Shavuot. That's the idea. The idea is, is that on the night when we, right before we accept on a national level, we accept the Torah and reaccept and reconfirm our commitment to the Torah. Really, it's a time for every single person to make a big statement and a very loud statement. And that statement is like we pray when we make the bir- Birchot Torah in the morning and we say thank you to God for giving us the Torah. In that prayer, we say, v- Visein Chalkenu. That you should give us our portion in the Torah. What does that mean, give us our portion in the Torah? The Torah is a very you know defined thing. We have it on the bookshelf. We know exactly what it looks like. What's our portion in the Torah? And the rabbis tell us that each and every Jew, through their study and exploration within the Torah, can really find their own peace, something that talks to them, something that speaks to them, something that says, hey, I'm connected to that idea or that teaching, or... I don't know anything about that, and I want to spend time learning more about And that's what we're asking for. And on the night of Shavuot, what we're making a very concrete statement. I have a place within this Torah. I have a place within this guidebook, something that's mine and
0: mine alone. That makes total sense. Now, speaking of elevating physicality, we are Jews food is typically involved. I've always heard that there is a custom to eat dairy and cheesecake. Where does that come from? Okay, so
1: the other thing that we do on Shavuot, and this is rabbinic in nature, developed over time, is the custom to eat dairy. And what is this idea of eating dairy? So on a very technical level, we could say that way back when, and this the rabbis tell us, that way back when, at the revelation of Mount Sinai, when we received the Torah, we were told how we were able to now slaughter animals in a kosher way. And so all of a sudden, this entire new world of eating meat opened up for us. But until that point— we didn't have any laws about how to eat meat. And so at, until that point, it was all dairy that we knew we could eat. We knew we could eat, get to the dairy without slaughtering anything. And so as a rem- to remember the fact that it was, yes, meat was all new, but yet we were kind of in this holding pattern. We just got the rules about meat, didn't have time to prepare that meat, yet we didn't fully get into the you know the meat eaters of Judaism and so therefore we ate dairy and we commemorate that fact the fact that everything changed when we got the Torah and our entire lives changed i think that what that means and that's pretty technical detail but i think what that means is that understanding that we eat dairy because we know that the only way that we are allowed to experience certain things in this world, like meat, is to do it in a kosher way. And the Torah gives us the rules and the ways that we are allowed to experience it. So the Torah doesn't say this is off limits on some things it does, things that aren't good for us, things that God says either on a physical or a spiritual level. I don't want you anywhere near them. But in general, where God is telling us, you can have this, and here are the rules that allow you to experience this physical thing. And so when we eat dairy, we're actually remembering that change that took place through the receiving of the Torah, the opening of the floodgates, so to speak, In we spoke about before about allowing us to understand how to experience the physical in the proper way, so we're really commemorating that change that took place, the guidebook for experiencing the world around us. Another idea is like a baby. You don't start a baby on meat. What does a baby start with? Baby starts with milk, formula, liquid. And so the custom developed that if this is the commemoration of our marriage to God, there's something else going on also. The Pesach and Passover, the exodus from Egypt is... Really, the conception is when the Jewish people were conceived. We spent a few weeks, you know, we talk about going through the Yamsuf, going through the sea, it's so the splitting of the sea. We spend a few weeks, but now Shavuot is remembering our birth. And in a beautiful way, at the moment of our birth, what do we come to eat? We come to eat dairy. And we remember that there's a freshness that can be attained. Every single year when we come back to this point in the calendar, you know, for some people, their Torah study or their experience in Judaism can get stale and they can kind of go through the motions, but not really feel that enthusiasm and that excitement. And one way to do that is to, you know, you see these um, some new aid therapy session where they did an actual rebirth with someone. And they do this, and they have the person, I don't know, they do all sorts of crazy things, right? But they do this rebirthing process, but we do it without the crazy props. We sit down, enjoy a good cheesecake, but like a baby, we connect right back to that first moment where we can then achieve a whole new fresh approach to our Judaism, to our relationship with God, to our relationship with God's Torah. And through that, we can come fresh like a baby experiencing the dairy. Anything else you can think
0: of, Rabbi that you would like to add on the subject?
1: You know, something we take for granted, we we really take it for granted. In studying Torah, there are really two elements. There's an intellectual process that goes on in our brains, but there's something that it also affects inside of our hearts. And I think it's really important before a person engages in the study of Torah, I think it's really important for a person to appreciate what they are engaging in. And the Torah in its many forms, in the five books of Moses, in the Chumash, in the Talmud, in all the commentaries on both of those, and in every other Torah book that has ever been created, all of that is God's will and wisdom put into Words And so if we think of God's will as starting up way up there in the heavens, God's desire for what the world should look like, we think of that starting off in a very spiritual place, a very lofty and high spiritual place. And we talk about how are we as physical beings meant to interface with that? How are we meant to connect with that? I mean, I don't know. I get thirsty and hungry, and I have other desires, and I'm supposed to connect to this lofty spiritual ideal, this idea that God has for the world to be perfect? How am I supposed to interface with that? And so God makes a meeting point for us. And that meeting point for our physical selves and God's lofty, spiritual, perfect ideas— is the Torah. And we experience that meeting point when we sit down and study Torah, when we hear a Torah idea, because what that's doing not only in our brain, but in our heart is connecting us deeply and intimately to God's will for the world. You know that the Talmud is full of examples that can at times seem to not be very relevant. Talmud is full of examples of cows goring other animals and monetary disputes that we are not involved in on a day-to-day basis, many, many cases, and understanding that included in God's will for the world is to train our brain to think a certain way and to train our brain to think godly. So we deal a lot of times with character development and that it's very simple to see that we're being trained to interact with the world a certain way, to interact with our spouses and our kids, our partners, people that we come across. It's very simple to see that. But to understand how that can take over an entire being is really to study the breadth of Torah, is to study up and down and to understand that this process of studying Torah allows our brains really to change and allows our brains to really think godly about the world and think like God would about the world. That's what the Torah does for
0: us. Excellent. Thank you, Rabbi. One more thing, Rabbi, before I let you go. For those listening, the reason I didn't continue to learn with Rabbi Wolgelinter is that he went to work in the the business sector, and he's still been a, a staple at Torch, teaching and at our partners in Torah. However, he went from teaching Torah full time to going to the business world. So there's something I'm been struggling with, and I would like to sort of lock you down for a future podcast because you are going to be perfect for it. And where I sort of struggle is that I seem to only know how to exist in either where I'm in a very lofty state, I'm studying Torah and I don't want to deal with work, or I realize you're not being productive. You have people depending on you, colleagues, everyone else is depending financially on you, get to work. And then I'll spend the whole day at work and focusing on those tasks and realize I have not thought about God the entire time. And that's not what God wants. We're supposed to infuse the spiritual with the physical. And it's something I just lack a skill set from. I'm either oscillating to one side or the other. So someone in your position who's been to yeshiva, who's taught Torah, but went into the business world and I know brought that Torah with them. What I would really appreciate if you'd be willing at some point in the future to come back on and talk about that specific subject, because I'm sure there's many people that struggle with that as well.
1: Definitely. I would definitely be willing to talk to you about that. I think that's an awesome question. And that would be a great discussion that we can have because yes, you are correct. It's not meant to be like that. We're not meant to be sometimes spiritual and sometimes physical and split it down the middle and then be discouraged when we're too much, the pendulum swings too much to one side to the other. It's not meant to be like that. I have some remedies, some things that I've been taught, some things that I've read, and I'd love to share them.
0: Awesome. Wonderful. I I look forward to that and I'm glad we can leave leaving the audience knowing that we have more of you to come. So thank you very much, Rabbi, for taking the time out of your day and sharing your your wisdom and your energy with us and teaching us your Torah. Thank you, Dan. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this
1: episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking Donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.